Welcome to Richard Ellis Talks with Richard Ellis. Richard's going to take the next few minutes to share some great words of hope, insight, humor, and relevance. In today's lost and searching world, that's something everyone desperately needs to hear. Speaking of that, we'd love to keep this conversation going with you anytime through our website, richardellistalks.com. In fact, there's so many ways to connect with us from there that you really need to check it out for yourself, richardellistalks.com. But right now, let's go ahead and get things off and running with today's talk. Here's Richard Ellis. All right, maybe let me tell you a couple stories. One of them somebody told me this week. There's a preacher that does, maybe you have like children's church at your church. Where sometime in the service, the preacher gets all the kids down front and they sit down and he tells a little story that hopefully the adults can understand too. Well, this is a true story. A preacher gets all these kids down and he's one of the best in the country at doing this. Big church, all these kids down in front of him. So he starts telling the story. And he starts out by trying to get them to get involved. He says, okay, boys and girls, there was this furry animal with a long tail. Now, does anybody know what that is? These kids just stared at him. And he realizes he's in trouble. He says, well, boys and girls, it's a furry animal with a long tail, and he, like, gathers nuts for the wintertime and stores them. Anybody know what that is? None of them would say anything. And he had to keep adding. He said, well, it's a furry animal with a long tail and climbs trees and stores nuts. And he was getting pretty frustrated. And finally, this one little bewildered little boy in the back of the crowd raised his hand kind of timidly. says, I know the answer is Jesus, but it sounds so much like a squirrel. <laughs> Now, as we'll see in a minute, the answer is always Jesus, but sometimes you can be squirrely at the same time. <laughs> All right, you know, I told this story Sunday, and I got to tell it just because it's another true story. A few weeks ago, I sat down at home and was kind of playing around the piano a little bit. And of course, you know, kids don't want to touch anything unless somebody else is touching it. So Catherine, almost three-year-old, who is a piece of work, she decides she's got to get up on that piano bench by me. So she slides up there by me and she starts pushing. She's leaning my way, okay? And I'm in the middle of this piano, and she's reaching up there, getting frustrated, trying to move me down, and this is what she said. She pointed across me and said, Daddy, there's a song down there. (laughs) There's a song down there, Daddy. Something to think about. All right, I think my title today is The Cross is Foolishness. And I think I want to come back to this because I usually talk about the cross because if you're not talking about the cross, you're probably not talking about it much anyway. There's a story in the Bible in Acts chapter 17, I believe it is, where Paul goes to this place called Mars Hill, Areopagus, and starts preaching the gospel to these philosophers, and they think he's nuts. I mean, a lot of them think he's nuts. And I think it's always important for us to remember that when we go out into the world, wherever we live, and maybe to some people who listen today, you know, if somebody talks about Jesus, then he died, and was buried, and raised from the dead, all this stuff, and people shake their heads and look like, you know, and in the case of Paul, they said, this guy's nuts. I mean, it was just, this is the craziest thing we've ever heard. I mean, it's just nonsense to him. It is foolishness. And as we'll see in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 here, I'm going to read you some verses. We'll see who it's foolish to, but who it's not foolish to. And Paul writes to this church in Corinth, which was all caught up in all kind of stuff itself. 
And uh, I'm going to pick up in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10, and he says, Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there will be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Now that's what church ought to be. But what does church end up? Exactly what he's going to describe here in a minute, where people are squabbling and quarreling and arguing about the stupidest stuff. I mean, I've heard of church being split over what color the carpet new new building was going to be. And they have these knock-down drag-outs, and they go off and start their own church with their own color carpet. You know, you just... <laughs> Verse 11, he says, For it has been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, by those of Chloe's household, that there are contentions among you, there are divisions, there's arguments among you. Now I say this, that each one of you says, one of them says, I am of Paul. Or I'm of Apollos, another great preacher back then. Or I'm of Cephas, or I'm of Christ. And he says to him, is Christ divided? I mean, has he been, you know, cut in two or something? Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Was I crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I mean, that'd be absurd. He says, I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, lest anyone should say that I had baptized in my own name. Yes, and he's kind of writing and thinking. He says, well, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Besides, I do not know whether I baptized any others. You know, that's who I baptized. But verse 17, he says, for Christ didn't send me to baptize. He said, this is about arguing about who you're following or I was baptized by Paul. You know, it gets kind of nuts. You know, sometimes I hear people say, what go to you? Oh, I go to the great something-something church. <laughs> Pastor so-and-so. Doctor so-and-so. You know, or the reverend so-and-so. You know, I was baptized by Brother Thompson back in, you know, East Texas. I'm like, are we going to talk about Jesus or just who got you wet? <laughs> people are more enthralled with who they know and who baptized them or something than they are about Jesus. And it's the same thing. Oh, I'm a follower of someone. I go to this church. You know, I keep telling people that. Does anybody know statistically how many churches there are in Dallas? Anybody know? Some of you already figured it out. There is only one church in this town. You say, well, I don't like that. You better get used to it. Because that's all there is. There is only one church in this town. And it's not about who baptizes or where we go or where we gather. It's whether Jesus is in the middle of it or not. In a minute, you'll see how he focuses back on this. And let me just interject this. If you go to a church where anyone but Jesus is central to what's going on, you're in trouble. Because when Jesus stops being the focus, then something else takes over and people go off on tangents and start arguing and start complaining and they forget their passion. They forget why God left us here in the first place. And I make no apology. It is about Jesus and him crucified, buried, raised from the dead. I'm not saying we don't have struggles in our church. But if you keep the main thing, the main thing, people don't have time to argue about other things. Because you're too busy going after the main thing and pointing people to Jesus instead of chasing all these rabbits. So he says, Christ did not send me to baptize, but what? To preach the gospel. Not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. And I've heard some eloquent preachers. And sometimes you can have eloquence and no power. You can turn on the TV, you can get tapes, you can go to some service, the building's beautiful, everybody's dressed right, and the preacher gets up and all these flowery words, and you just think the wind doesn't blow. Nothing shakes, nothing happens. And I've also heard ignorant, poor, godly men get up 
and open a book and begin to preach. And because they had prayed and because they knew God and spent time with him, the power of God was manifest in a way that you knew God himself honored that man by showing up. And Paul says, and if anybody could have impressed anybody, it was Paul. And he repeatedly says, I'm not trying to impress you. I'm sticking to the simple fact, the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be of no effect. What happens is we get more impressed with people's words than we do the cross. And now we're more enamored and we're more drawn to the person. My job as a speaker, as a pastor, as a preacher is to get you somewhere way past me. And when you leave and when you're finished listening, you ought to be somewhere in God's house, not somewhere around me or anybody you're listening to. It ought to be about Jesus. Let me read 17 again. He says, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Not that baptizing is bad, but guys, it's not the deal. It is something that goes as a symbolic thing about what's happened in your heart. But the deal is the gospel. Lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect, verse 18, for the message of the cross is foolishness. Paul says it. He said, this is the craziest thing, the craziest story you've ever heard. And I remind myself of this and you of this. When you share your faith with people, you better be prepared. If you go back to Acts 17, three things happened. Some of them mocked him and said, you're an idiot. Some people said, you know what? I want to talk about this some more. I'd like to listen more about this. And some people believe. But be prepared for three things to happen, at least those three things to happen. You share your faith, somebody's going to shake their head and just say, man, you are looney tune. That is the craziest thing I've ever heard. But I've had guys, one in the last week, sit down out in front of Starbucks down here on McKinney and tell him the same old story. You know what? My story never changes because my Jesus never changes. And there's no way to flower up the cross. There's no way to make it better than it is. It is what it is. And the power is in the gospel. That Jesus died, that he was buried, that he was raised from the dead. And if you understand that and you see that and you believe that, your entire life can be changed. And I sit there in absolute amazement because I say the same word, the same story, and tell them I've never gotten over the fact that somebody died for me. And I watch people sitting in a chair outside somewhere, wherever it may be, and their whole lives are changed by some crazy story. And if you go back to Acts 17, these people had heard every story on the planet. That's what the scripture says. That's all they did. They just lived to listen, to hear some new thing that came through, some new philosophy, some new whacked out you know, story. This is a whacked out story. But all of a sudden, a certain group in that Mars Hill, that place, heard Paul's story and went, that's it. Now let me tell you something, I don't know where you are in your life and what kind of problems you've got, but if you are a person that at some point in your life somebody told you that God loved you and that Jesus died for you and that he was buried and raised from the dead and you got a life, don't ever forget that. Because the fact that you received the faith and acted on that and believed has changed not just your life but your eternity. And it is no small thing, it is everything. It's everything. And if you'll go back to that, if you're in all kind of trouble, debt, whatever, family, relationship stuff, wake up in the morning and start with this. The second you have consciousness, start with this. Father, I got a hellacious day ahead of me, maybe. And I have the same stresses this morning I had when I went to sleep last night. But I thank you that my name is written in a book somewhere that nobody can erase. And I thank you that blood, your blood was shed to make me clean. 
and that no matter what I got to go through today, you're not going to leave me or forsake me. I'm going to tell you something, guys. You can get joy in about 25 seconds. And it's enough joy and enough peace and enough grace and enough power to catapult you through any day. Because no matter what comes your way, you know you're not alone. And you have something to be so grateful for. And you're not going to be here forever anyway. He's coming back or you're going home, one or the other. And there's a lot of hope in that. So in verse 18, he says, For the message of the cross, some translations say the preaching or the declaring of the cross is foolishness to who? To those who are perishing. But to those who are being saved, it's the power of God. Without the cross, I've got nothing. I am nothing. And what's foolishness to somebody else? And see, I realize on a day like this, a place like this, maybe you're here, maybe you listen to the tape, you know, you're going, why do these people, why do the, my friends keep giving me these tapes? I don't believe this stuff. But you're sitting there in your car at home listening to this stuff. And you keep coming back for more because something stirs in your heart and you go, I can't get away from this story. What is it about this story? It's either true or it's not. And if you even remotely think it's true, then continue to pursue and say, God, reveal yourself to me. If this is really you and it's really true, open my eyes, open the eyes of my heart and let me see it. All right, so he says, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Then he asks the question, where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer or the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? If you sit around and listen to quote-unquote wise, smart people, some of them are just idiots. They go off talking about all this stuff, and if you listen for a while, you go, they don't have a clue what they're talking about. They're making this stuff as they go. Just dreaming stuff up. It's not based on anything. It's just some new thought. And he says, God has made foolish the wisdom of this world. No matter how wise somebody gets without God, it is foolishness from God's perspective. Verse 21, for since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God. Now listen, let me read that again slowly. For since in the wisdom of God, in God's wisdom, he knowing what to do and how to do it, the world through wisdom did not know God. No matter how wise somebody is, it doesn't guarantee or mean they're going to know God. Because even if you're wise, you don't make it to God. You think you're wise, you don't need God. It pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. Now, I'm pretty big on this, and I think kind of everybody should be, but maybe I'm a little bigger on this and push it a little harder. I cannot stress to you enough the importance in a conversation with someone who does not understand and doesn't stop trying to make it eloquent and just spit it out. I've done it in elevators. I've done it with 15 seconds in a conversation. That's all I had. And then somehow in the conversation, I weaved in that Jesus died on the cross, that he was buried and raised from the dead. Now, guys, I'll tell you what. God can save a whole host of people with just that. And you say, well, that's too simple. Let me tell you something. It's all simple. Don't get away from the simplicity that's in the gospel. And if they say, well, what about this? They go, well, I don't know about that. But I know Jesus died on the cross, was buried and raised from the dead. I know that. <laughs> And that changed my life. You say, well, they got more questions than that. Then help them get answers, but at least give them that. That is the power of God in Romans 1, 18, 1, 16, I think it says that's the power of God in salvation. 
Verse 21 again. For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached, or through the foolishness of preaching, some translations say, to save those who believe. For Jews request a sign. Some people, the Jews here, request a sign. They want to see some miraculous sign. And the Greeks seek after wisdom. They want to think about these things and come up with their own deal and be wise. Verse 23, but we preach Christ crucified. To the Jews, a stumbling block, and to the Greeks, foolishness. You're going to make a fool of yourself if you open your mouth and share Christ. But somebody just might get saved. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. He is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of of God is stronger than men. The foolishness of God, something that people would say, well, that's foolishness. In God's world, that would be considered foolish if there was such a thing. It's still wiser than men. If you get foolish in heaven, it's still wiser than anything on the planet. And the weakness of God is stronger than men. Even if God could be considered weak in some area, which he's not, that would still be stronger than anybody on the planet. You can't beat what he's got. Now listen to verse 26. He says, For you see your calling, brethren, that not... Now, and this is... I don't know. Sometimes churches get sophisticated. Have you ever been in a church that just got too sophisticated? And we start pandering and catering to rich people. Because we've got to build buildings. And the rich people, we think, are going to pay for the buildings. But the rich people sometimes think... I'm not against rich people. It isn't about that. But sometimes we start getting too smart for our own britches. And thinking, look what I did, and look who I am, and look what I've got. And you get that thing going in the church. Now we're too smart. We don't need God. That preacher needs my money. I, I pay for this building, and I'm somebody. You know what? Give me a thousand single moms giving something every week that comes from their heart over one guy who could write the check for everything. Because those single mamas out there are depending on Jesus, and they're praying Every day, they have a walking, talking, ongoing relationship. Now, I'm not telling you that some guy writes a check and does something good is a bad thing. And I'm not against that. And I have some deposit slips over here. <laughs> In fact, I've printed them on the back of my business card now. It's just kind of the two. All right, now listen, verse 26. He says, for you see your calling, brethren. In other words, look around. He says that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. Not many wise, the people in the world who think they're all that and so smart. It's funny how it's hard for them, it seems, to get saved. Not many wise, not many mighty, the big, the strong, they don't need God. Not many of them come around. And not many noble are called. It's hard to submit to a king when you think you are one. God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things that are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen. And the things which are not, to bring to nothing the things that are. That And why is all this? Now listen, verse 29 and 30. The reason that he set it up this way is that no flesh should glory in his presence. God turns it all upside down. And what we think is the answer, he says, no, it's completely the opposite of that. We think that being in charge is the answer. He says, no, being a servant's the answer. We think being in control is what's going to make everything work out. He says, no, when you know you're out of control and he's in control, now everything's under control. 
It's all backwards. But people start thinking the way people think, and it gets completely flipped upside down. And the reason he's got this thing flipped upside down is so that no one can stand before him in his presence and take any glory. So if you find yourself talking to God about how great you are, and there are stories of this, a pagan walks in the temple, and a Pharisee walks in the temple, and one's, oh God, I think that I'm not like that man over there. In other words, I'm somebody. I'm so glad we talked today, God, because you probably need to talk to me too. <laughs> you see that kind of attitude? Instead of the other guy coming in and said, be merciful, have mercy on me, God. Woe is me, I'm a sinner. And I need your forgiveness, I need your mercy. I need your life in my life. I need your power, I have no power. I got nothing without you. You say, well, that sounds weak. That's what it's supposed to sound like. Because when you're weak, that's when you're strong. Because he's strong instead of you being strong. So all these things are set up, verse 29, that no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God. Christ became our wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Everything you need and everything you need to be is in Christ. And when you got called, when you responded to that call, and he comes to live in you and through you. You get wisdom, you get righteousness, sanctification, redemption, all these big words that you need to be and have, you got. But it's not you going after it, it's in the person. Redemption is not something, it's somebody. All these things are a person. Verse 31, that as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. Now I think it'd be simple to say, and back this up biblically, what God wants, the number one goal of every Christian on the planet is to do what? It's to bring honor and glory to God. It's not witnessing. It's not worshiping Him. It's to glorify God. It's that my life somehow would bring glory to Him. Where no one would look at me and say, oh, what a great... If somebody comes to your church, my church, if they walk into a church, when they walk out, they should not be talking at all about the building, even about the people. They ought to leave going, what a great God they have that somehow God gets all the glory. That's what he deserves, that's what he's after. And all these things, guys, the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who believe, it is the power of God and the salvation. And I pray you understand that and know that, and we'll share that with people around you. We'll get back to Richard in a moment to close out today's talk. But first, I want to share something about our program. Our mission is actually very simple, to take the planet. So it's our prayer that these daily talks from Richard aren't something you only hear and enjoy, but that they inspire you to share with others. Together, we can do this. The message of the gospel is something everyone needs to hear, and that's why it's such a priority to us. So join us in this important mission. Call us at 855-6-RICHARD to say you're in. Or you can get on board with us through our website, richardellistalks.com. Well, here's Richard with some closing thoughts for us. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word and for truth. And that somehow, Father, somewhere in our lives, hopefully, if not yet, maybe this day, somebody shared this simple story about a God who loves us enough to leave heaven and come to earth, be born of a virgin, live a perfect life, die a perfect sacrifice on a cross, shed his blood, be buried and raised from the dead, and pay our way, pave our way, not just to heaven, but between here and heaven, Lord, give us a life. And Father, for those of us 
who someone has shared that story with and you've opened our eyes and given us faith to believe and we've acted on that and received this awesome gift, we thank you, Lord. And for those who are still listening and still kind of thinking it's a little crazy and everybody's going to think they're crazy, Lord, just confirm in their heart that it may be foolishness in the world's eyes, but the wisest decision they'll ever make is to turn over their nothing and get your everything. Father, nobody's ever loved us like you love us. Nobody's ever stuck by us. Nobody's been so faithful. Nobody's cared. Nobody's been so patient, so merciful. There's nobody like you. And uh, we thank you and we praise you and we worship you. And we pray that this day our lives would bring glory to you and that people somehow through our sinful natures, our flesh, the us in us, they would see you somehow, Lord and that we would somehow reflect your glory and your presence and your power in our lives. Thank you for these people. And use each of us this day, we pray, Lord, for that very purpose. We love you. We thank you for loving us. And we thank you for Jesus who makes all this stuff possible. Amen. You've been listening to Richard Ellis Talks. We really appreciate that you've spent this time with us, but we want to keep the conversation going with you. A couple of ways you can connect with us is by giving us a call anytime at 855-6-RICHARD. That's 855-6-RICHARD. Another way is through our website, richardellistalks.com. You can email us, sign up to get the daily talks sent to your phone each day, write on the prayer wall where we can pray for you, or even stay in touch through our Facebook page at Talk with Richard. We love bringing you the program every day, but it means even more to us when you let us know how the program has helped you. So call 855-6-RICHARD or connect with us at our website, richardellistalks.com. Finally, if you enjoy the program, let us know by your generous support. It would really mean a lot to us, richardellistalks.com. So until next time, have a great day and thank you for listening to Richard Ellis Talks.